0: Welcome to the Wide Angle Podcast. It is your host, Mark Steiner, and today my guest coming all the way from Canada is Lucan Coots. Did I say that correctly?
1: You actually did, yeah. That's the first time you said my name, right?
0: Okay, good. Good, good, good. I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. You seem like a radiant person already. We've been talking for the past like 10 minutes, and we already feel like best of friends. So
1: this is the guy in the bright yellow room. I know,
0: <laughs> I know it's kind of crazy that we're just conversing over Facetime or Discord halfway, not halfway.
1: Yeah, nice to meet you, by the way. <laughs> I know, I know. This is crazy. We've been locked like, in it, conversation already. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know we have been locked in conversation. Haven't formally introduced ourselves, and yet we're having the, the grandest of times. All right, lucan Let let me introduce you formally who are you where are you located what do you do
1: oh i'm looking Kutz. i'm a digital artist from toronto uh i've been doing photography for five years and i over the years have developed like a special love for the editing process so uh, i will just sit myself down here in this chair and just play with light and color for hours on end dude yeah like i've just had this uh some of these atmospheric kind of like when you can actually immerse yourself in the photo that's what's always appealed to me most so photography you know i get a lot of crap from photography purists who are like well what do you do isn't really photography right because you do so much on the editing side um but no it's, for me it's uh the editing process is just really fascinating for me and uh being able to pull all those colors into your imagery is just I don't know, man. That resonates with me quite a bit.
0: No, it's it's definitely... it's It's one thing to be able to take a good picture. It's another thing to completely edit it and change it and make it into your own. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with.
1: It's hard to stand out that way too.
0: It is. It definitely is. Like finding your personal style and having it be different enough from everyone else that it actually does stand out is a very hard thing to do these days. Not many people can do it. Yeah.
1: Um. Anyways, to expand upon that, I've been doing photography for five years, almost to the day actually. That's awesome. Like five years ago this week.
0: Do you remember the day? When did it start? I remember
1: the day I first posted Instagram. Okay. Which is like March 28, I think, 2015. Was that
0: a huge milestone for you? Or was that like, oh, I'm just like, randomly posting crap and not even thinking about it yeah
1: just randomly posting crap and then that date became significant in my life
0: yeah yeah that's that's how it tends to go it's like you just start something you don't really think about it and then like five years down the road you're like wow that was that was the first step to where i am now and it's
1: yeah pretty crazy yeah two years ago on viral with that photo back there
0: yes we're going to get to that. Don't worry. But going off of your current thing, I wanted to... Believe it or not,
1: I didn't set that up. I didn't put that back there intentionally. It's always just been shown back there.
0: One of the reasons I waited to get you on the podcast is because you were part of this uh, Toronto creative short film that I watched and absolutely loved. You were featured in it. And I thought you had a very nice story to tell with that. And we it talked about the your photo blowing up, which we will get to, but also your printing process. And when it got into that stage, I'm like, oh, this guy's just gonna nail his prints. And you are like, I hated it. And I was like, oh, that's not good.
1: That was Max actually in the video, that wasn't me. But I did go through the same thing, so I'll give you credit for that.
0: <laughs> for you, I have just started printing my photos, and I have them displayed back here, as you might be able to see. Amazing
1: feeling, right? When you see it for the very first yeah. time in physical form.
0: It is. It's an incredible feeling, being able to see your own art. Nothing like it. Because you always see it digitally, right? There is nothing like it. When you see it digital, like you have it on your phone, you have it on your laptop, that's cool. But it's not the same as like
1: physically when you can actually hold it it becomes real yeah.
0: yeah having that tangible thing to hold is a a whole different ball game you know it's just and then being able to display it for other people to see like in a room or just seeing other people take pictures of it living in their room is I don't know, it just feels so much more real. Like I feel so often in this day and age with everything being digital, I don't know, you have more credibility when you finally have something printed. You know, it feels like you're like, oh, this is a huge step in my creative process. Yeah,
1: which I think is the reason why a lot of people draw on film as well, right? Because when you shoot it, mm. it's always physical, but with digital, it's you never see it in physical form. It's always like exactly. on a computer in one form or another.
0: Exactly. And I think it's important to go back to that more like the roots of photography like actually printing that out because you you have a a greater appreciation for it and you have to recognize how much work goes into fine-tuning that print so you get it to where you saw it digitally and that for me i was fortunate enough i I haven't been doing like crazy high-end prints i the first couple prints i did were at costco which was super affordable really like that and then i got these ones from my darkroom store these ones I think were more colour accurate for sure. I found that the Costco ones were a little bit warm, but the colors for the most part I was pretty happy with. I wasn't like, oh, these are gross, I have to re-edit them. But tell me about your struggle with the with printing and colour accuracy. Uh
1: three or four years ago, I don't remember which for like twenty sixteen kinda of era. I was uh, only printing with Walmart really, just because I was Okay I, I didn't see any need to pay for premium prints, right? a print is a print, yeah. you know, if I can pay like ten bucks less to get it done at Walmart, I'm gonna do it. So I would get my canvases done at Walmart, my poster prints done at Walmart, but dude, you get what you pay for.
0: Yeah, no, it's 100% true. What is the most you've spent on a print?
1: Oh, uh, last year I printed, have you ever heard of an acrylic print? Do you know much about that? I have, yes. Incredibly expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had a customer place an order for one that was five feet tall.
0: Oh my God. The size of a human. Dang. Yeah,
1: that was... uh, Seventeen hundred dollars to produce.
0: How much did you sell it for?
1: I won't say how much I sold it for, but I had to pay seventeen hundred to produce God. that.
0: Thing. I hope you made back your cost.
1: <laughs> I actually probably shouldn't say that in the podcast because what if she's watching this right now and she knows? I don't know. I was actually pretty upfront about that kind of thing with her. But
0: as long as you weren't going into debt to make that, I'm glad that it happened. That's that's the thing though. I think a lot of people they they put up a print store. And they're like, oh, I'm going to charge like $5 for a print, right? And I think where you start actually making money is when you separate yourself and and start doing that high-end market, because that's where the real money comes in. Like, you're only going to make so much with, you know, $5 to $12 prints versus when you start getting into like hundreds and thousands of dollars for that one high-end customer or a couple high-end customers. I think that's where prints really start to separate. And that's where you make the real money. The stuff that a lot of people are doing... Right now, I think it's good that there are so many resources for all of us to have print stores that are digital and we don't really need to worry about printing or shipping or anything. It's all done on their end. But I think when you have clientele like that, that's when it really starts yeah. to broaden your horizons.
1: It's actually easier to sell uh, more expensive or like higher production quality prints than it would be to sell uh, a bunch of cheaper prints
0: exactly exactly and i don't think a lot of people realize that especially who are first getting into photography they're like oh i see other people with a print store i see that they're charging you know like five to twenty dollars for x amount of prints or this size of print but when you have because i was i was actually in switzerland last summer and uh there was this one art gallery that i kept walking by every day because it was on the way to the grocery store this art gallery one of the pieces just one of them was forty thousand euros and i was mind blown by that like i was like how on earth but the like you have to take into account the place where i was staying was like a ski resort for in winter i was there during summer which is why i was able to go there but <laughs> uh but like the clientele who come there for the winter getaway they have that kind of money and they're looking to, to yeah. have that so when you again start going into that higher end clientele that's going to play a huge factor into the success that you have with prints because a lot of people aren't going to be buying those 5 to $20 prints.
1: No, and there's such a small mar- uh, small margin on those smaller prints as well. Um, when you, mm. Especially when you take into factor, me being a Canadian, I'm, my audience is all American mostly. Um, and I got to ship internationally, that's going to drive the price rate up. Yeah. So I'm actually having a lot of struggles with my print store right now for that one reason because mm. I don't want to be that one guy that charges like... Mm-hmm two three thousand dollars for his photos like if you want to piece my you know i want to make that affordable and accessible
0: yeah where is your print store
1: it's on my website right now which is hosted on squarespace the way i've got that set up is that uh the order gets placed online and then i take that and fulfill it myself with my local printing company here in toronto
0: so definitely higher end but way more work for you
1: yeah i was doing that route with society six which is like i think similar to darkroom haven't explored Darkroom too much. You're on Darkroom though,
0: right? I am on Darkroom, yes. So it's that
1: kind of thing where you upload your photos to Darkroom and they just take care all of all behind the scenes. Yeah. They,
0: yeah, so Darkroom, I believe, takes 30%. But for me, because they do e- literally everything, like these photos are sitting on a hard drive anyway. I might as well make some money yeah. off of it. Um, so it's a win-win, you know? like I don't want to deal with printing and shipping and doing all that, at least not at this stage. Um, but yeah, like having... You f- fulfill everything yourself. That's a lot of work, and I know how much goes into that.
1: I guess you're happy with Darkroom. you got those prints back there. You're happy with the color accuracy yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: I'm happy with them.
1: Society6, that was a bit too picky. It might have been my fault with my export settings, but when I got my prints, I was just not happy with it. And I was like, I can't believe I'm shipping this out to my customers right now. I can't have my stuff on this.
0: And that's the thing is, like, when you take pride in your work, you want to make sure that everyone else wants to see the same thing that you see and if you're not happy with that you're like this is not a reflection of the work i don't want people seeing this because then it's it's not yours at that point you're like this is not what i signed up for and i don't think if you're not happy with it how the sure you can get away with the customer not having as high a standard as you are as you do and i think a lot of times we as artists put a lot of pressure on ourselves, and we're mildly perfectionist when it comes to that but we we want we're perfectionist for a reason you know we like we worked very hard to pick to edit and do all that work and we want it to show we don't want it to be half-assed. So I think it's really important to have Yeah, like you said you want to make yeah. sure it's perfect Have you gotten it to a point now that you're happy with
1: No, There's still a lot of logistical stuff that I'm trying to sort out um, but the best decision I made was just building a relationship with a local small business here uh, because you know I'm working one on with the guy. He's able to give me just like direct feedback He's able to tell me exactly how it's going to look when it's printed out. He's able to do test prints for me and stuff like that. And I'm able to mm-hmm. go visit him in person and then take a look at the photos and do a quality check before I send it off to the customer. Yeah. He also does white labeling and stuff for me. So I don't have to have like all of that ugly um, big brand poster mm. logo. You know, all that stuff is just like a on the sides and the customer, you know, I've actually had in the past, I don't want to say like the printing companies I was using, but I did have customers in the past that would search up the site I was using and be like, okay, so this guy only paid this much to produce this print but i paid this much so they actually emailed me saying like hey i'm not happy with this change my mind and i know that you only paid like 20 bucks to produce this so i'm wondering if you can like take that rest of the money and produce something better
0: that's okay first off you have some people who are just annoying beyond compare because that's just rude (laughs) uh and like you're not you're not paying for it for the price. You're paying for it because it's an art that only you can produce. Like, that's the whole point.
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, but that's... All right. It's not, it's not a problem. That was like one customer and how many, right? Well,
0: I'm glad that it's, it's kept to a minimum because you don't deserve that.
1: Yeah, that is the big reason why I don't like having those big name poster guys just like slap their branding all over the packaging. Mm-hmm. White labeling is super important as a smaller photographer. Mm-hmm. So
0: I know that you've described your photography as like dreamy. What else and what how would you describe your style in more detail
1: um if you asked any of my followers they would almost 100 percent say cyberpunk which is okay mm. um you know i live in a big city and i like to throw pretty um cyberpunk like colors on my images like the purples and the blues that is a common theme but um honestly man i just like pretty colors <laughs> mm. so i am trying to expand that a bit i'm not trying to be pigeonholed pigeonhole to that cyberpunk genre i am trying to expand that a bit and just uh Instead of having cyberpunk aesthetic, I just want to have just beautiful imagery as my aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But uh, like I was mentioning a bit earlier, a lot of photography purists, they do get upset at the amount of Photoshop that I use. Especially, I've done a couple of tutorials on YouTube as well, and I've gotten those comments saying like, man, like this makes me really sad to see how much of photography has gone away from photography. But for me, it's a 50-50 split.
0: See, I I feel like the rise of really good editors has completely changed the definition of photography because you know some people view photography as you literally push a button and other people view it as like more of the the bigger process and you're paying someone for the post processing for the editing for their unique style whereas other people are like oh you know my sister could push a button i have an iphone why should i pay you and it's like there there you're never going to satisfy everyone there's always going to be someone out there who's going to be like it's not good enough your editing is too much and i just like the more natural look or i it's There's never that happy middle ground and you have to just like (laughs) block out all that noise and realize that the only person who's going to make you happy is you. And for the most part, people are going to start to gravitate towards you and your style and the way you do things. And that is going to, you know, help motivate you to continue going. But going off of what you were saying, you said your style, you're going to change, be like you're changing from cyberpunk. First off, my question is, do you agree with that term? Do you would you classify yourself as a cyberpunk photographer?
1: I kind of fell into that hole just because um, I don't know when, when you're dealing with such a large audience, you know, and uh, you, you 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 understand that they respond a certain way to certain types of content, right? And mm-hmm. when I post photos like that, that responds a lot better than a photo that I would take of my, you know, what I what genuinely is like my thing at the time. <laughs> I'm I'm trying not to. <laughs> The words that are coming to my mind is like, okay, so that photo got 6,000 likes. This one got 2,000 likes. God damn it. This one got 2,000 likes. I'm sorry. I
0: know. I, I think a lot of us struggle with the likes and the numbers. And we're like, okay, we want to continue repeating that success we had with this specific one. And it can sometimes hinder our growth and how we want to actually portray ourselves. And I think Instagram, for the most part, has is on the decline i think in terms of engagement and uh usage compared to other apps like twitter and tiktok now is like the bigger apps where things can blow up more easily i feel like but it's interesting to see i feel like i've had many conversations with a lot of creative friends how getting stuck and just seeing those numbers is one of the hardest things and it's hard to like ignore it too Because we get that validation from it. And you're like, okay, this did well, people like this, I need to continue doing this. But what happens when that audience doesn't respond the same way to something exactly the same, or that audience starts to fade away, then your worth as an artist doesn't go down. Yeah. It's just...
1: I've got a very black and white perspective on that too, because uh, going viral overnight, you know, I was a small artist one day and then a larger artist the next day. So I've got a very black and white perspective there. And I've noticed that there's a huge shift in how I approach that kind of thing, where mm. if it was a difference to, you know, if that photo got 600 likes and then that photo got 200 likes, I mean, that's that's a lot of likes. That's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that didn't impact me as much as uh, when that's multiplied by a scale of 10, right? When, it's, yes. when you're dealing with thousands and thousands of likes, because yeah. if it's a difference of 600 likes and 200 likes, that's maybe 3,000 people, which is a lot, but also not a lot. Yeah. Uh, but when you're dealing with... Uh, Right now, it's like a difference of like, if I post that photo versus a different photo, that's a difference of like 40,000 people that can see Mm -hmm. that or not, right? That factors into it quite a bit. So that did uh, pigeonhole me into the cyberpunk genre for a bit and I was happy to follow that direction just because I had a lot of fun with it and I still do. Um, But it's definitely time to expand that a little bit for me.
0: How how are you expanding? How are you evolving?
1: Uh, Right now I'm not, (laughs) right now I'm trying to figure that out. I really have not been shooting lately. Uh, instead I've been focusing on, you know, my projects lately have just been expanding upon my impact within the creative community, just like doing these YouTube videos, I guess. Um, yeah. doing that chase in Toronto thing. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And during this, uh, coronavirus quarantine, I uploaded a bunch of my raw files for okay. people to just download. Yeah. For people to download that and edit that and just have fun with it. Because if I'm not creating, I might as well push other people, other people. to do it for me. Right.
0: Exactly. No, that's, that's a really good. Idea, And since you're such a a pivotal part of the community, you might as well help build that community and then also keep people entertained while they're in quarantine. And then you get to see how other people would edit your photo, and that's kind of cool as well.
1: It's pretty fun. A lot of people are pretty ambitious with it, too. You don't see a lot of color like that on Instagram. You don't see a lot of uh, people going for those really heavy-handed edits like I do, because it's pretty ambitious. But seeing so many people attempt that, that's really cool to see.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's it's really cool seeing how other people would edit your art. And you're like, wow, I didn't think of it that way or whatnot. But going back to YouTube, you said you, you've been uploading videos for yourself and being part of the community. I remember first seeing you on Chris Howe's YouTube channel. Yeah. And I was like, yo, this kid looks super cool. And I didn't really follow that up with anything. And then <laughs> literally like a year later, you're in one of my Twitter group chats. And I'm talking to you about, uh, this with you. Horrible. No, I'm talking about you with, uh, Bobber. And he was saying like, yeah, Lucan is super nice. I do follow Will. But yeah, like we had a, we had a great conversation. And then I started, was like, oh, okay. Like this kid has a story. Like everyone has something good to tell about him. And then I saw the photo and I was like, Oh, that's super cool. So I I'm wanted glad people to don't say, talk shit about me. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no. You're there there's been nothing but praise and good talk. Like Baba was saying, like, you know, I love that Lucan, from before the photo went viral and after the photo went viral is the same person. And that's how you can tell it's a genuine person. Like it's not the fame didn't change and I think that's a really good quality to have. That's and actually really not, awesome here. Yeah, no, it's it's a very rare thing to see nowadays. I feel like like when someone goes viral, they're like, "All right, I made it. Everyone that was part of this, I'd, I'm just gonna forget you." And the come up was gone, and I've made it, and I don't really need to interact. I am with still you the same dumbass kid know. I was three years ago. Exactly, exactly, and that's I think is a really good quality to have in anyone, but especially in a creative person who genuinely cares about the community and seeing other people succeed as well and so the
1: magical thing there too is that uh when those people do go viral and they get a big head uh, the creative community just got this magical way of filtering out those kinds of people in one way or another Mm. whether -hmm. or not the community itself or if it's just like I, I, i i don't know i can't it, it It's I, I've seen this happen quite a few times, you know people get up there They get big and then they just go straight downhill
0: when people are like, you know what I've been rooting for this guy and the come-up is real and he finally has his motive And I'm very proud of him like versus he had his moment and now I don't like him at all Like I'm there's that huge difference, but we keep dancing around this one topic of your photo going viral Can you tell the story? of that photo the
1: story of the photo or um
0: the, the everything the, from the, when the photo was taken to all the craziness that ensued afterwards
1: all right the scenic route i don't actually tell that story too often i've told the story of the actual process that going viral a couple times online but i've never told the uh, more behind the scenes of that
0: i want to know the, the whole story
1: so that was december 2017 there was a oh, well first of all like when i when that photo went viral it had me on the floor uh just unable to function just twitching I, I, yeah i couldn't I move. it man. like how is that it was like, like an episode kind of going. black mirror like the notifications would keep rolling in my phone <laughs> and they wouldn't stop and i'm just like i can't turn this off
0: it was ridiculous like, is, this, is this really happening am i getting hacked like is something going on like no
1: it's amazing because it's never the photo that you think would do uh it, it, it's it's never the one that you it's
0: think. so true i have a crazy story about that too but i i really do want to hear your story for very beginning to the very end
1: dude yeah there was a snowstorm right around christmas back in 2017 and me and my friend from my hometown we were out downtown since 2 p.m until 2 a.m we spent 12 hours straight just walking Mm -hmm. around during the snowstorm and it was fantastic i love winter and i love walking around during snowstorms it's just this magical atmosphere in the city especially Mm -hmm. when you see all the snowfall lit up by the city lights amazing but uh when the when the night fell it was so productive. I got maybe Like, I've had the most productive night um, ever, that one night. I got maybe, like, six or seven shots that were usable, and that are still my favorite to this date. I've got printouts on the other side. You know, I'll, I'll grab one. Why not? But, man, that was, uh, it was... It was like we were in the flow state. Like, we we mm-hmm. tapped into that, and we just couldn't stop. Um, that was thing at the very end of the night. That was around uh, 1 or 2 a.m. Everybody had gone home at this point, and it's like, well... I don't know, let's go to this one last location, right? So we went to Dundas yeah. Square.
0: There's always one last shot, I yes, okay.
1: We went to Dundas Square, we got prepped for the shot, and there were no pedestrians. There was no subjects for our shot. So we got our friend Ben to walk across the road, snapped it, sat on it for a week, and that wasn't the photo I was most stoked about that night. You know, I had so yeah, many other photos that excited me more. Yeah. Um, but eventually I got, got around to editing that, posted it online, Sat around. I was like, "Okay, cool, cool shot." Yeah. Double tap, move on, forget about it, right? Yeah. And it wasn't until the right person saw it about a month later. Um, mm-hmm. The photo got orphaned. Actually, uh, it was it it was being posted without credit, uh, and when it was going viral, mm-hmm. I was not credited in any of the viral posts. Um, <clears throat> I was actually dating this girl who lived an hour away at the time, and. Uh, When that photo got tweeted out, I was on my way back, you know, taking the train, and I ran out of data. So I just took the opportunity to turn off the world, put my earphones in, just forget about it, take a breath, right? And when I got off the train, got into the subway an hour and a half later, my phone automatically connected to the Wi-Fi network in the subway station. And I saw this notification saying, hey, Luke and Coots, that's your photo, go claim credit. And I tap on it, my subway's coming in, I tap on it, check it, and like, oh my God, dude, that's got 10,000 likes. I'm pissed. It's, it, it didn't tag me at all. Somebody else that I knew, he tagged me in it. And I was like, man, that's it. That's my moment coming past. And I was I really frustrated about that. Um, but anyways, I like I made a tweet out there saying, hey, that's my photo. In like a friendly tone because no one's going to be impressed if they see like, what are you doing sharing my photo? without credit, man. Exactly. No one's going to like that. Um, I was pretty upset though. You know, I tweeted that out, shut my phone off forgot about it, got back home, and then uh, I turned my phone back on as soon as I got back home just to let the gravity of it sink in. And then I saw that my tweet was actually getting quite a few likes. So I'm like, okay, maybe my time isn't up just yet. Um, Dude, it was amazing. So at at that moment, I was at 15,000 followers. I actually hit it earlier that day when I was hanging with my friends. Uh, I was at 14,997 followers, and mm-hmm. I'm just sitting around with these guys on my Explore page, refreshing, double tapping all these posts to try to get that last three followers in my profile, mm-hmm. just so that I could hit 15 k as a little bit of a flex with my friends here. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I did it, looked at it, okay, cool, 15K. And if you told me that at the end of the night, I'd be at 30K, no, there's no way, absolutely no way. But that tweet, you know, that even though it was only 10,000 likes, that was just the beginning. That finished off at 125,000, 150,000 likes. That got cross posted to Reddit. That got another 100,000, which is a few million impressions. And then yeah. else were on social media. And dude, yeah, as soon as like, those notifications started rolling in, they would not stop. Yeah. I had to mute all of that. And I didn't realize how many followers I was really gaining until uh, my girlfriend at the time texted me like, Luke, and look at your profile right now. Mm-hmm. And, and, I refresh and I just refreshing and the numbers just go keep up by going like, up <laughs> Yeah, like you would refresh It would go like 17.1, 17.3, 17.5 Each time you refresh It was nuts That's crazy. It's absolutely insane No, it's it, It's never the photo that you think it would uh, That you think would pop off like, Yeah, never it in my never life is that would be the
0: one. Like obviously you're proud of it But what do you think Was your favorite photo from that session? What was the one that you were most excited about?
1: The one that I almost broke <laughs> This one was my favorite one from the night. Uh, This was my first time trying this new technique where I put a speed light on top of my camera, pointed it up at the snow, and then when I fired, it would illuminate the snowflakes right here. So all those little bokeh balls.
0: That's cool. See, I was going to ask if that was all like in post, but now that you said you'd like fired a, a flash up there, that is a great idea. That's yeah. Dope. It was my
1: first time trying it out and I fell in love with that. Like that was what I'm saying. It was the flow state. You like, I discovered that technique. And I'm just like, dude, I'm not stopping anytime soon. We're shooting for the next 12 hours. <laughs> but that was the photos most stoked on just because it was perfectly aligned. That snowfall effect. effects. Unreal.
0: And when you when you try out something new and it comes out great and you're so proud of it, you're like, of course, this is the one that has a special memory in my in my heart feels the fire. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, oh, it happened. And you're like, it's a good feeling when that happens. But yeah, it was it's interesting to see. It's like you've said numerous times. It's never the photo that we think is going to do well that does well. Like I've had so many sets that I've been more proud of or think that I is more potential for virality and those are never the ones that do well. It's always the ones that I'm like, oh, I'll just quickly edit these and throw them out and see if anyone cares about them.
1: I've noticed a bit of a correlation where the more edit I put into a photo, the less it, better it performs. It's always my super quick edits that are what, that are the ones that resonate with my audience the most.
0: Yeah, it's always the, the the throwaways that we're just like, oh, we'll just bust these out and have these. Yeah, exactly. It's never the ones that were like... Exactly,
1: yeah. I found a photo from last summer that I hadn't touched and even looked at in eight months. And then I posted that to Twitter. And that's my first tweet to get a thousand likes in years. <laughs> yeah, I know,
0: it's it's mind-blowing. Like I, Some of my most viral sets have been ones that I was not necessarily proud of. I was just like, oh, I'll just do a quick Lightroom edit and throw these up and I'll just see what happens. And then they get like thousands of likes, And you're like, <laughs> really? Like the ones I spend like eight minutes on, you love, but the ones I spend four hours on, no love. And I'm just like,
1: but why? And I think just... it's your pin tweet too with the blue skies. Ah, yes. Okay. Dude, blue skies are a weakness of mine. You do that really well.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, that was uh, taken at White Sands, which was otherworldly. Highly recommend if you're ever in the U.S. Where's White Sands? White Sands in New Mexico. Um, I went out there with a friend because he was like, hey, Mark, I went to White Sands last year. Um, I kind of want to go this year again. I have a whole model shoot planned out there do you want to come and film like a behind the scenes video for me? And I was like, hell yeah, I do because you're like one of my best friends and this sounds like an awesome adventure. So we did that. And while I was out there, I just got a couple of shots. Um, I was mostly there for the video because that's what I was more excited about. But I was like, you know, we're here in this beautiful location. Might as well get a couple of photos as well. And th- that set did really well. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's cool. <laughs> no, it was great. Yeah, no. And, but like, it's just a lot of the other sets that you never think about. that get that do really well. And you're like I. Did not spend that much time on these. I don't understand the, the liking. There was one photo that I did. I think again was twenty. It was twenty eighteen that this photo did really well for me. It was only on Instagram, but I posted this photo and it was of my friend Rachel. She has these very interesting eyes and this very beautiful skin texture. And I did one of those like split swipy photos. so It yeah. was super cool. And it was this was like just when you could do that yeah Yeah, exactly when it first got introduced and people were like oh that's super cool and so i posted that and it did fairly well i think it got like 800 likes uh when i posted it and then and then nothing i was like oh i thought this post would do like really well but it didn't do that great and then a feature account found it like three weeks later and that feature account got like 10k likes and then every other feature account saw it on that feature account and like reposted it on their instagram Yeah, exactly. It's the snowball effect. Once you hit that, then it just like continues going. Then my friends were sending me screenshots of their for you page. They're like, and it was just my photo on all of the pages. And I was like, oh, my God, this is blowing up. (laughs) And it's like it was super cool. And like, again, not to the same extent as yours by any means, but it was really interesting going like gaining a thousand subscribers in a week. And it's I was like, it's still the same factor as a though,
1: because it it's all about that right person. Like that. Taste exactly. Maker. Like Something that's the thing.
0: And I feel like so many people get disheartened. They're like, Oh, this photo that I put my, like my blood, sweat and tears into didn't do well. It means that I'm not a good photographer. I'm like, no, it doesn't. And yeah. you should just, you just got to keep going and keep putting stuff out there because eventually the right person is going to see it. And one of the, one of my favorite things that I've heard is that like, good content doesn't stay hidden for long. Like sooner or later, someone is going to pick up on that and be like, oh, that's awesome. Like with your photo, right? You had a whole portfolio to back that photo up. You know, it's not like you had absolute crap, that one photo, and then continued posting absolute crap. Like people found that photo. were like, yo, this is a dope photo. Let me follow him. They're like, oh my God, his whole fee is just dope. And you're like, all right, like you put in the work. So again, it's like you've put in the work, you have your moment that finally happens and you're like, yes, like I've, I've earned this. (laughs) Like It's it's finally happening. It's like, that's one of my favorite
1: quotes is that uh, luck is when opportunity meets, how how does that go? Hard work. Luck is preparation meets the right opportunity.
0: Very true. Yes, that is 100% true. And people don't necessarily think that they think that, you know, you just need that one shred of luck that has no preparation whatsoever. And then you're set. And it's like, That very, very rarely happens, and you usually have to put in hours and hours and hours. Yeah,
1: there's nothing that you can do to influence that.
0: Exactly. There's absolutely, it's out of your hands. You have no control over it whatsoever, and people forget that so often. It's just like, no, just keep doing what you're doing. Sooner or later, it's going to pay off. Yeah. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when, if you put in the work consistently. Be so good that they have to take notice. Yeah, and so this slides into my next question. What are your thoughts on overnight fame? Do you think it exists? You you,
1: you covered it pretty well for me, actually. Uh, it does exist uh, in the most literal sense. Like that's what happened. Um, I'm like I'm not famous, but that's what happened to a lesser extent with that photo, right? Where it's like one day I'm a small artist, and the next day I'm in a much better position to um, pursue something full time. There, uh, it does exist, but on, just on the surface level. Like, of course, you don't see anything. It's like an iceberg. You don't see underneath the surface of just. Before that photo went viral, I was, there's a, a span of three weeks <clears throat> where I would be pulling like 40 to 60 hour, uh, work weeks, just like sitting down in Lightroom or just out there with a the camera and just plugging away, just going for it. Right. Not healthy. Definitely don't condone that. That's a horrible lifestyle, but like I was going through a rough time <laughs> and photography is my catharsis at the time. Yeah. Um, but that's what you don't see underneath the surface. You don't see all of that work, all of that. Uh, Everything underneath the surface there that contributes and like you said about how I had to work to back that up That's not something that could have happened if you know if my uh, That's something that could only happen if I put that work in already, right? like if I had all that traffic into my account and uh, Didn't have that kind of work to back them up. I wouldn't have half those people sticking around they might've followed you but they would have dropped off the face of the earth.
0: Exactly. Because you didn't have anything to back it up, but you did because you're a very skilled and talented photographer. And like, that's once you put in the work and you do it, that moment is going to come. And I think that's the thing is like so many people want to believe that they don't have to put in the work and that over oh, that moment is going to happen. It's almost impossible for that to happen.
1: Well, that moment can still happen. There's, there's two types of reality here, which would be like, um, I guess, I don't think it's like officially categorized or anything. I've just like kind of p- pieced this together myself over the years. I think it's like a like a superficial kind of virality, and then there's like a deeper like a, um like a meaningful virality mm. would be the two types. So me- like a superficial virality would be like those TikToks of a kid doing a Fortnite dance. You watch that, you're entertained for a bit. That gets fourteen million views, but nothing comes of that, right? But yeah, um, in other times, uh, you know, for the more meaningful kind of virality that's when you're able to leverage that you're able to like for me you know of course i had all that traffic coming in i was able to pull those guys into my connected community and uh keep them around for as long for like two years later here i am right um for that's uh, for for like for for those reddit users uh, like the people that posted that photo even though that popped off at like one hundred thousand something for them, that was very superficial because they got nothing of value from that. Nobody was visiting their profiles. Yeah. Um, and it's that same kind of thing for those photographers that are just sitting around waiting for that moment to come. Because uh, mm-hmm. if it, if, you don't, if you don't have that work to back it up, if you're not able to um, reel them in as soon as they're coming across your page, if you're not able to reel them in, nothing's going to happen.
0: Yeah, it's very true. So you were talking about how you went from not being able to do this full time to... You're now doing this full time. Yeah. So how, how has that transition worked out for you? Has it been difficult? Was it easy? Have you struggled with that, or for you was it just supernatural? And you're like, all right, I'm glad that this is now my main job.
1: No, it definitely was not natural. Uh, it, if anything, it was just fast forwarded a lot, mm. and I've uh, felt like a that imposter syndrome a little bit because you know it all it all came out of nowhere mm. for me, and even now thinking back to it, it was all a blur. Um, the transition only like I I only went full time back in like August or September or something like that. So fairly recently. Very recent, yeah. And I went viral two years ago. So between then and uh, just a few months ago um, was the process of learning how to actually market myself, how to because uh, mm-hmm. even like I'm, I'm a young guy and I'm right. still early in my careers and. Inbound leads aren't really going to happen until I'm more established. So right for this time being, it's all about, uh, packaging up your skills and then pitching that in a way that would sell, um, -hmm. to brands or whatever projects you want to do. Uh, and it took me quite a while to start to figure out how to do that. And even now, uh, work is very inconsistent, but the nice thing is that it pays well
0: that's the freelance life like that's (laughs) that's for everyone no matter what stage in your career you could be the best freelancer in the world but you're gonna have high days and low days and off months and great months like that's just the nature of the business that we're in it's never consistent and if you want consistency you're not gonna find it in this industry
1: yeah no it, it will get easier the nice thing is that um for me right now it does pay decently well when i can find work so it keeps my head above water and during this coronavirus scare, especially like I've been completely out of work. So I'm lucky to have those past projects that are just coasting me through. For the yeah, help, time being. Exactly. <laughs> Having that
0: passive income or the previous stuff that helps out really does help. Because again, like we said, good and bad months and we can never, it's, I feel like it's harder than ever to weather the storm when all of our work is suddenly sh- like completely gone. Like I had so many clients and weddings just pop off they're like wait this is no longer happening some of it is for legal reasons because you're not allowed to be in groups larger than 10 now or whatever and some of it is just because people are scared or non-essential business it's crazy yeah so this is definitely putting a lot of creatives out of work and it's been difficult but it's also been really interesting seeing how people are trying to make the best of it like some people are, are exploring new avenues to make revenue they're like i love that yeah yeah it's really interesting like i've seen a decent amount of my friends who have said oh you know i wanted to start a youtube channel and they've been saying this for like eight years and they finally start one and i'm just like yes i'm here to support you i love it i hate that it took a global pandemic for you to finally do it Dude, but here yeah. you are but and then other people as well, like I know a couple of videographers are like, yeah, you know, all my clients got taken care of, like uh, got uh, axed. But uh, now I'm looking at like church ceremonies that I can do my video stuff to because I can live stream that because that whole like elderly church community can no longer go to church, but they still want to have that church vibe and this kind of need. So I can do that. And I was like, huh, I would have never thought of that in a million years. But so people are definitely thinking outside the box and getting more creative and starting passion projects this is something that I wanted to do for yeah. a while, but I was like, ah, no one cares. No one's interested. And now that we're all shut in, I was like, might as well. So there's a little yeah. bit of
1: a sadness behind, uh, how this only happens because people have more time during the week that they're not working. Cause I'm seeing people that are baking and they're doing, uh, they're learning new instruments. That's, that's awesome to see, man. I know really exactly. Sick. Like,
0: when you have that free time and you're able to take care of yourself and learn new things and start doing things that you've been passionate about for so long consistently because of that time, it is heartwarming. But it's also disheartening, like you said, to see that the the only thing holding people back for the most part is that time. And I think it's, it's hard to see that. So I think this this whole pandemic has played a very interesting role in the world. And it's going to continue playing a very interesting role because there have been a lot of negative to come out of it, but there's also been a lot of positive, like the environment and then like people's passion projects and just technology. And like, it's, it's really interesting to see how this is, is bringing people together and people are trying to better themselves. And it's, it's fascinating to me how that, how that happens in such a, a time of, stress and anxiety <laughs> i'm the kind of
1: person who's very influenced by my environment as well and i'm not trying to glorify the situation at all but i do have to say that when i'm uh uh when i'm outside and i'm just like <laughs> people might yell at me for this when i break quarantine I'm, I'm in my car doing like a drive around i'm like i'm safe and responsible and stuff like that but yeah. um just seeing how few people are out in the city like this is such a bit like you know first thing in the morning during rush hour, not a single car on the street yeah, it's ridiculous, and it's a little bit feels a little bit apocalyptic. It also, feels a little yeah. bit chilled out, like a more of a suburban kind of vibe. Exactly, it's really it's really cool. I don't know, it's horrible, but I'm just trying to look, I'm trying to see the positives. <laughs> it's there, right?
0: horrible, but it's inter- it's something that you've never seen yet. Like seeing Toronto empty and seeing like New York empty is something that you'd never thought you'd see in your life because these are like big metropolises, and now they're ghost towns, and it's so. It's crazy to see all these crazy high-rise buildings with no traffic, no no pedestrians, and you're just like, it. Yeah, it does feel apocalyptic. But I will
1: say that I'm happy about the environment impacts because I walk outside and the air smells so much cleaner than it two weeks ago. It's not even funny.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a massive. Like I was looking at these before and after photos of Los Angeles. It was just one of the most polluted places in the U. S. And it was just like smog versus blue sky and LA is is <laughs> nefarious for their smog, and I'm just like, ah. But the biggest thing, so again, being from Hong Kong...
1: I was going to mention that, yeah. Hong Kong's pretty bad. You don't see blue skies in Hong Kong too often.
0: Yeah, no, you don't see blue skies in Hong Kong unless the winds shift. But, yeah, like, my dad is still in Hong Kong, so he's been sending me photos. And it's just, like, a night and day difference. Like, the factories in China have shut down. Like, work has come to a standstill in Hong Kong. So, like, you have this massive change that you don't like Hong Kong's pollution is so bad that they have a different pollution index that they measure off of because they don't want people knowing that you're practically smoking a pack of cigarettes every day when you're just breathing like it's horrible like a low day in Hong Kong is considered a medium high day in North America and a high day is considered like don't even go out of your house in North America (laughs) like there was one time in hong kong i was growing up and we had like a sports day outside so i was doing a lot of running and playing soccer and whatnot i think it was like grade five or six and uh i went to blow my nose and it was just black soot came out and i'm like oh my this God. cannot be healthy <laughs> <laughs> unreal <laughs> it's it's not good it's not healthy for anyone but that's the reality. And I think, again, that environmental impact is gonna, people are realizing like, oh, this, this is a huge deal. And I, I, I think the pandemic and global climate change kind of go hand in hand with people being like, oh, there's such a drastic difference with just like the world taking two weeks off. And now it's starting to repair itself. So that's, it's really interesting to see how much of an impact humans have had on the environment
1: do you think this is a simulation <laughs> i'm
0: not elon musk so no i do not think it's <laughs> uh, a simulation because that's
1: like the earth's trying to uh, it's it, i heard that joke where the coronavirus is uh where the virus wait, yo, the yo, coronavirus is the vaccine
0: earth's wait yo yeah yeah i have definitely heard that and i don't necessarily think it's a joke i think I mean, like, yes, in terms of how the world works, yeah. I, I I'm screwed up so
1: much that there's a virus coming in and it's going to wipe out a lot of the po- I feel bad about joking about this. There's people that are going to be impacted by this.
0: Feedback loops, right? Like, if something happens, something else is going to happen because of that action, right? Like, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction or something like that right so it's like we have destroyed the planet sooner or later something crazy is going to happen with the the planet fighting back and this is not a a one-off thing like sea levels rising like climate change is drastically changing like even in Canada now like your summers have gotten like your past like five summers have been like the hottest summers on records and you're having some like some of the coldest winters on records as well like this is happening all over the world like we just don't see it as much Cause it's a slow creep and like year on year we're like oh this is getting worse this is getting worse but we don't necessarily make that like oh this is apocalyptic like we need to do something now it's just like oh it's negative eight instead of negative six like it was last year you're like okay yeah
1: progress is so gradually that that's our normal it just constantly is our exactly,
0: own. and it we just sort of like oh it's it's crazy like that. So when it hits you something like this, you're like oh wait, this is a huge wake up call. And now you know like they keep saying how with the 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 polar ice caps melting, all those diseases that have been trapped in the ice for hundreds of years are going to escape into the world. And so I wouldn't be I've so, never heard of that. you haven't no this no. has been been talked about for like the past like six years. This is not something brand new, but like. You know, you think about ice forming layers over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it's like it's trapped in gases and different things that this generation has never witnessed because it happened thousands of years ago. So sooner or later, like this is I don't think Corona is going to be a one off. I think this is going to be something that's going to happen every couple or so years if we don't take care of the planet like we should well
1: even then i don't think this is going away just uh for the fact that it's such a silent and deadly virus that uh you mm. can be completely yeah. asymptomatic and transmitting it and that the numbers are 10 times higher than are being reported right now mm. yeah it's never yeah. gonna yeah. go away fully
0: exact that's the thing because no one knows if they have it like especially in the u.s the government did such a poor job about preparing for it and there's no infrastructure to even test for it let alone cure it and so people are pe- yeah it's We live in a crazy time where fear and anxiety and stress have taken over and like people who are not necessarily sick, they like, they get a cough or something and they're like, oh God, this is a death sentence. And you're like, no, you're just hyperventilating because, because of the times we're in right now. But that's, it's, it's really interesting to see how this, this whole shift. And I think a lot of people are going to start realizing there are a lot of conversations going on about healthcare improvements, not necessarily in more developed countries like canada uh but in the u.s where healthcare is horrible people are like all right this there has to be something that we can do about this because this is unacceptable and then universal basic income is now becoming a a conversation before it was just like this hippie subject but now it's like now it's a realistic thing yeah now it's like okay clearly there's like no one can work people still need to survive like just because there's no jobs doesn't mean the world stops. Like People need to survive somehow. And seeing how different governments are responding around the world, like was it Denmark or the Netherlands or something like that, they were like, we spent billions of dollars on giving every, making sure everyone is 100% set through this entire thing, no matter how long it goes. And it costs the government a lot of money. But they know that once life gets back on track, their citizens are going to be able to do so much because they were taken care of versus their economy like i hate that the u.s focuses so much on the economy and they're like oh we got to get back to work we got to get back to work and i'm like no no no. you take care of the people make sure the people are okay and when this actually ends then we get back to work like it's not
1: that's exactly what trudeau said that's what our prime minister said yeah See? He said, we're just going to make sure that everyone's taken care of right now. We'll worry about the economy after the fact.
0: Exactly. And that should be the priority. But it's not like that everywhere. In the US, it's always about the economy, the economy, the economy, and the billionaires and trillionaires who are just like, all right, we'll 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 worry about our bottom lines and we don't care about the people. And I'm like, that mentality, it needs to switch in order for the, the world to move forward. It, people need to come first. It's not about money. And I think, again, because of this virus... A lot more people who have been looked down upon for their job or whatnot, like garbage workers, mailmen, right, are suddenly being elevated and people are appreciating them much more. They're like, you know what? That isn't the easiest job. And exactly. Like now, you're like, the people in society who too often get overlooked are being viewed as what they should be. And that's the thing. Like, what are these CEOs contributing right now? Absolutely nothing. It's the everyday worker that is making everything changed. And I think it's really interesting to they're see. They're the ones the world running. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that the mentality behind what is considered like an unskilled worker is, is changing drastically because they're the true heroes right now and there's no denying it. So yeah, I think it's, it's interesting to see how that's, <laughs> how that's changing uh,
1: I've, I've read similar sentiments online i'm glad that the world is uh finally showing the appreciation that these guys deserve yeah
0: exactly exactly and that's what it needs to happen and when we when we all come together and we stop basing people's worth off of their education or their money and appreciate them for who they are and what they actually give to the world the world becomes a much better place speaking of the world i think one of the final questions i had for you was uh i suck. <laughs> it's not as, it's not as grandiose as you're expecting right now uh but one of my final questions i saw that your twitter header is from my hometown hong kong when did you visit
1: my second home i visited twice i visited in 2017 2018 uh spent a few months there both years when in 2017?
0: 2017
1: 2017 <laughs> Sorry, I had to
0: tease you for that. No, you're good. I saw it. I was like, ah, he's going to know this. (laughs) Uh,
1: It was April to June, I believe. I spent two months in 2017. Dude, we would have been there the
0: same. We would have been there in the same month. That's crazy. Are you serious? Yeah, because I went back after graduating university to spend time with my dad. So I was there for like a month and a half. And we would have had a, an overlap. That would have been crazy. But I would love to hear your story about Hong Kong, the, both times. Dude,
1: yeah, Hong Kong was amazing. That was my very first time ever on an airplane. Really? Uh, first time leaving. Yeah. Okay. I was I was uh, flying to the other side of the world into a foreign country where I didn't expect anyone to speak. And English. everyone speaks English. Uh, <laughs> Spending two months there to live and work all by myself in a completely foreign country on the other side of the world And that was a hell of a culture shock. I'll tell you Did that.
0: you have a job set up or you just went there no expectations and you're like I'm gonna make this work
1: Haven't talked about this ever online and only my very close friends know about this But I actually worked as a model down in Hong Kong.
0: Okay. I'm not surprised by that because you definitely have a look
1: <laughs> Thanks, man. You, you did too. I, I've actually got a secret for you But next time you're in Hong Kong, I can get you into some of the clubs for free because you've got that much. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the clubs down in Hong Kong and Lan Kwai Fong, those guys, uh, they allow... I'm not sure if I'm not allowed to say this, but they allow models into their club completely for free. You can drink and eat for free. Free bottles mm-hmm. of the sunlight. And all you got to do is just... They just want your company
0: hang out there. Yeah, yeah.
1: Honestly, they just want attractive white guys there so that uh, it'll yeah. attract that kind of clientele that they want, right?
0: They There's definitely that, that whitewashing kind of thing going on, that, that mild... It's interesting, the, the, the dichotomy of, of racial issues in Hong Kong, because growing up there, I never felt like there was this hierarchy. But as I got older, I did recognize that even though the white people were the foreigners, they still held this a higher position, which was it was interesting. So you modeled out there for two months.
1: I, d- I, d- I didn't get too ingrained in that kind of culture. So I haven't noticed that myself. But I'm curious that you, uh, mm. yeah.
0: I think, yeah, I don't think it's something that you notice that quickly off the bat. It's something that you, you notice after years. <laughs> yeah. So I, was, I lived there for 13 years. So 14 years in Asia, 13 years in Hong Kong. So that's, it's home for me. That city
1: hits so hard, dude. That is such a hard-hitting city.
0: I love it, though. I, I feel like it's not that different from Toronto, though. Like, you came from a big city. I feel like it's not that much of a shock.
1: For the apartment that I'm in, in Hong Kong, I was living in an apartment half the size with six other guys, yeah. it was ridiculous, man.
0: That's okay. Space is a premium in Hong Kong. Yeah, but in terms of like big city vibe, like what was the biggest culture shock for you?
1: <laughs> Everything. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Just being tens of thousands of kilometers away from uh, my entire life back home. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty shocking. But it was a. Uh, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. It was a bit of the architecture that kind of threw me off, mm-hmm. where it's like. Here in Canada, and America, you've got the storefronts. so you go into, like, a McDonald's or something, it's going to be, like, you know what a McDonald's looks like, you walk into, like, the ground floor level, but in Hong Kong, you'd have to, like, walk into almost, like, this alleyway up a set of stairs, up another set of stairs, and then open it, the, in. like, it's, like, so hidden, and so, it just didn't make any sense to me, and then even then, you know, you're trying to order, you're just trying to get, like, a junior chicken or something, and... They don't really understand you too well. A lot of people did speak English, which is really nice. If no one spoke English, I would have had such a, like, a much worse time there. Yeah,
0: for sure. And that's, I think people are always surprised about that, especially my American friends when I tell them that, like, practically everyone, you can easily get around in Hong Kong speaking English because almost everyone speaks it and they're like wait what but it's in it's it's china i'm like no it it's hong kong and it was a british colony and that's where that architecture comes in as well which is really interesting when i when i visited london this summer i was like i feel like i'm back in hong kong because that architectural influence was so
1: also the same buses and i think the same metro system
0: exactly exactly because that 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 british influence with the double deckers and everything you have that in canada too because you were also a colony
1: (laughs) to a lesser extent but yeah
0: (laughs) shout out the colonies so i i always tell my friends like if they're wanting to go to asia but they're scared i always say like dip your toes with hong kong because hong Kong's a good like place to dip your toes in it's western enough that it's not as as huge of a culture shock and then once you're there everything is like a three-hour flight if you want to continue visiting the rest of asia but that's why i hong kong is very unique and yeah and i like since you like those like cyberpunk big city vibes i feel like that would be the perfect place for you to take photos hong
1: kong was a huge influence on that yeah and it was a huge influence on that photo too like that was my inspiration was walking around the streets of hong kong with all the bright neon lights that are just in your face and yep. it was i don't know like i i came back to toronto and i saw that shot and i'm thinking man that's huge that building is huge so i filled the frame up and uh, you can see that all the lights, you know, up around the corners of the frame, like those are all I don't know, I tried to really bring those lights in to make it feel overpowering. Oh, very sure. So that was inspired by Hong Kong. But I got a story for you. I didn't do my homework when I went to Hong Kong the first time. So I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know that as as westernized as it was. So I'm mm-hmm. I, I, I went up to Victoria Peak on my first or second night there and I was mm-hmm. trying to prepare myself for how to get back. Now, I'm gonna have to take a taxi to get back and it said online that a lot of taxi drivers don't necessarily speak English, so I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Uh I got my, uh, I got my notebook and I was writing down, like, the Chinese characters for Causeway Bay and, like, uh, the pronunciation in English, too, and then I was, like, I get into the taxi, I'm just, like, Tong Tonglo Wen, Tonglo Wan, I think that's how you pronounce it, anyways, and the guy's just, like, what?! <laughs> Dude, I speak English. (laughs) Oh, okay. Causeway (laughs) Bay, please.
0: (laughs) That's the thing. Yeah, it really depends on which taxi driver you get. So you need to know like basic Cantonese to get around with taxi drivers. So it's like you memorize the places that you most go to in Cantonese and then they know how to get there, which is great. But yeah, is it some their English for the it really just depends on who you're getting. Sometimes you get someone who speaks very fluently. Sometimes you get someone who speaks no English whatsoever.
1: Most of the younger generations I find speak English. Uh, yes they do maybe not fluently but very well still
0: yeah very very well like I know well I went to an international school so most of my friends you know are going off to like Princeton and Harvard <laughs> so very very different kind of uh, life who I was surrounded my bubble was very intense in Hong Kong um, but it was it was very interesting to see how it was because Cantonese is the street language but it's a dying language because everyone speaks English or Mandarin now and it's, it's intriguing to see how it's, it's still somewhat relevant, but these newer generations, like you're saying, they're not going to be the ones that are speaking Cantonese unless they're, it's actually spoken at home. And more and more it's, it's Mandarin that's being spoken at home, not Cantonese. It's really interesting. My canto consists of me getting around Hong Kong, ordering good food and swear words. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. I, I know very basic Cantonese. I know like a little bit of conversation like six
0: C. Well, I see. I don't even remember. Like, oh. my canto is like <laughs> Lay Six C means eat shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know any basic Chinese. I just know a lot of swear words because a lot of my local friends taught me like, okay, it's oh, yeah, important exactly. when That's you're That's the first thing at you learned. Exactly,
0: exactly. Oh, God. Okay, so this is the first time you went for the modeling gig, yeah? 2017, yeah.
1: Both times I went for modeling,
0: yeah. Oh, both times. Okay, so both times. And then when was the second time?
1: 2018. Yeah, modeling is my vehicle to get down there. I had this uh, agent in Toronto who I was working with, and I think he knew that my heart wasn't, well, he definitely knew my heart wasn't in modeling, but he did take me aside and say, like, hey, man, like, I know that you're not, I know this isn't your biggest priority and that you're, like, more excited about photography, so I'm going to try to send you off to Hong Kong. You can do your thing down there, just, like, I, I did work my best as a model. I'm not a professional, I'm a professional model, but I'm not a professional model you don't
0: classify exactly like you got you have been paid for modeling but do not consider yourself a professional model yeah no it's
1: really cool a lot of people don't know but i was actually in some magazines
0: that's awesome
1: uh milk magazine if you know that one i do i do know that That magazine i was a chanel model i was in modeling l men
0: that's awesome
1: i don't know i don't talk about this too often but that was my view to get down to hong kong uh and i was horrible at And I really didn't like it because it was such a superficial industry. And all the people I was surrounded by were... They were fun to hang out with. And I made some really good friends there. But models, are, in my experience, the models I hung out with were just not good people.
0: It's an its an interesting industry. And you have to have a certain personality to succeed in that industry. And that's not necessarily the personality you want to be around. And so it's...
1: Well, not, not even that. It's, it's just not my personality. It's just a conflict in yeah. our values.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so while you were there... Were you taking advantage of the fact that you were there and you were taking all the photos and just kinda of doing modeling to get by? That's why I was there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So
1: And my my agent knew that too. My agent in Hong Kong didn't really know that, but my agent in Toronto knew that.
0: <laughs> you're like, This is the reason why you're there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, man, that was so much fun. I got a drone for the second time around, too. I get to fly.
0: In the hey, room. nice. See, that's that's the play. Have
1: you seen some of my Hong Kong shots? I've got this one really cool look down over Central. I have
0: not seen your Hong Kong drone shots. I would love to see them, so I would greatly appreciate that.
1: Dude, it was really cool. So, the drone's got a ceiling of like 400 meters or 500 meters. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get really high above the city. So, I went at Victoria Peak, which is like 400 meters. And then I took off from Victoria Peak, which is another four or 500 meters. So I was a kilometer above Hong Kong, looking straight down, and for this shot, oh,
0: that is very cool. That is like the quintessential Hong Kong.
1: That was cool because it was my first time trying playing with the drone for the first time, actually. But uh, that was, uh, I was I was trying like this vertical panorama kind of thing. So I took mm-hmm. a bunch of landscapes, looking straight down, and a shot like that, a shot like that, a shot like that, and then I stitched it all together in Photoshop. And the individual shots were cool enough. Yeah. But when it was all the other like that, I was like, oh, my God, dude. This You're just is just like, this ridiculous. is epic beyond compare. Yeah.
0: How much work did that take?
1: Actually, it wasn't too much. Because, uh, I don't know. It was, it was pretty intuitive for me. Okay.
0: Photoshop does most of the stitching automatically? Yeah,
1: oh, yeah, for the stitching, yeah. It was all Photoshop. I think it was Lightroom, actually.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, like, it's... I love trying new things out. Like, this summer was like for me I really got into time lapses and hyperlapses and just had so much fun with so that. oh much my fun. god they're like, so cool love time they're, lapsing. so and like I started posting them to Twitter and people were like they they used to know me as a portrait photographer and suddenly they knew me as the hyperlapse guy and I was just laughing so hard at that <laughs> but I was having so much fun with it and it's just like you know I I think it's important to branch out and try different avenues cuz you never like as a creative we constantly want to learn and get better. You know, like I don't think any good creative is ever like, all right, I've made it. I can just sit. I know everything I'm ever going to know. No, it's like we we have that thirst to know everything. You know, we always want to improve. We want to learn new editing techniques. We want to learn new shooting techniques. Like we want to grow as much as possible. And I think people too often, especially because of Instagram now have like, dug this one hole into this super minute niche and they're like, all right, I'm never leaving this. I'm just going to, and there's nothing wrong with mastering that craft, but also like (laughs) dabble outside of that. And you, you never know what techniques you learn from something else that could be used in that situation. You're like, wow, this, this benefited my photography greatly, even though I'm a portrait photographer, but I was, I learned so much from landscapes. Like it's really interesting how all these different techniques can help build your portfolio. And once you have something in your toolbox,
1: that's why I love talking to artists in different kinds of mediums as well. Being, um, I guess digital painters being musicians and people like that. Cause we've all got the same goal, um, mm-hmm. of just telling a story. And it's really cool yeah. to see how other people implant their own devices to tell that story. Exactly. Cause even, even though it's not directly applicable, I have picked up a lot of tips from people. like. That.
0: And we all go through the same struggles too. And so we, we have that in common and we can relate to each other that way. Like it's, it's really interesting. I know a lot of my like, uh, music friends, they go through a lot and or graphic design. And I'm like, yeah, my, my photography and videography isn't 100% directly related to you, but we share a lot of the same struggles and we can learn from each other that way. And it's very intriguing to see how that works out. All right, Lucan, I think we have come to the natural conclusion of this amazing conversation. Where can they find you online, Lucan?
1: Uh, you can search my name up on anywhere. L-U-C-A-N-C-O-U-T-T-S, because I'm the only Luke and Coots on the entire planet.
0: Are you actually? I think I am, yeah. That's pretty impressive.
1: I'm the only I'm the only Luke and Coots online, at the very least. Okay. Type my name anywhere you'll find me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good to know. So, you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, and you're now on YouTube.
1: Getting on YouTube.
0: Getting on YouTube.
1: Not on YouTube just yet. There's, I'm elsewhere on YouTube.
0: You're elsewhere. Other people, you have been on other people's YouTubes.
1: I'm on channels that are not my own. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> well, I look forward to you actually getting on YouTube. And, uh, I, I look forward to continuing to follow your journey and our friendship. Likewise. Thank you you very much for this wonderful conversation, Lucan. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Dude, yeah, it was amazing to talk to you, man.